Good morning, everyone. How are you all? Good? You bear with me this morning. This is my first time of ministering um, since I had my um, mini-stroke last year. Um, And, uh, you know, I basically had a sabbatical. I'm still on sabbatical. But um, I just believe that God has opened this opportunity for me, and I thank Pastor Jeff for um, giving me the opportunity to share this morning. And one of these things I really don't enjoy that much is doing sermons to match a particular day or doing a message. I don't like the term sermon um, because I don't prepare sermons. I just go with what God's got in my heart at the time. So when Pastor Jeff called me, he said, would you be willing to, to speak on Palm Sunday? I said, sure. And I think, okay, yeah, but I hate these designated type messages. And it's like all of a sudden it just came. And so you get to know me after a while. Everything I teach from the Kingdom Foundation, uh, I have no time for religion. In fact, the religion I hate the most is the Christianized religion. (laughs) But, you know, it's all about the kingdom. And when we come to that understanding, we see things differently. Who is it on TV, the guy with the beard? Dr. Wayne Dwyer. I was flicking through the channels one day as on my way out somewhere. And, uh, you know, the public channel was doing their uh, fundraising. And I don't know what he believes, uh, you know, from what I've seen. It's probably, you know, a lot of mixture of New age stuff. But he made one comment that I take hold of. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And that really reinforced what God had been doing through, from, through me um, or in me first since about 1984 when he spoke to me just by listening to someone else speak and the, the guy mentioned the kingdom and, you know, brought up in church since I was 12, a Pentecostal church. Um, you know, we, we talk about kingdom, but it's like it impacted me. And so I went home, got my Bible. I happened to have a loose leaf one. Went through every scripture that had the kingdom in, in the New Testament. Then I took those pages, photocopied them, cut out the, the contextual uh, aspect of it and did a word study on, on those passages. And so I've come to understand the kingdom in, in great depth, but I've still to learn far much more. See, I, I come from the principle, if you want to be a good teacher, you have to always be a good student. As soon as you stop being a student, you stop being a teacher. So, you know, that's, that's where I'm from. So I'm going to sh- share some things this morning and probably, you know, rattle your cage a little bit. But, uh, but it's to bring a challenge because until we stop trying to focus on religion and start to focus on the kingdom and the king of the kingdom, and we're ne- never going to change anything. You know, I, 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 you know, I've been ministering in places and a pastor will say to me, well, God told me we're going to take the city. This church is going to take the city. The church can never take the city because the church can't take a kingdom. It's the kingdom that takes the kingdom. Kingdom shall rise against kingdom. The church doesn't rise against the kingdoms of the world. Christ has already won them. 
They're already his. They're already under his dominion. It's just that we're looking from our natural eyes. We can't see it instead of believing what the word says and walking in it. So anyway, I want to, I picked this up a couple of weeks ago. I've heard about it some time ago. And I'm going to read a passage from N.T. Wright's, the Kingdom New Testament. And this is actually a translation, but it's a translation that sounds like a paraphrase. But this guy is a New Testament scholar, Greek scholar. And so, you know, when he's written it, it's really easy to understand. It's, it's from uh, John chapter 12. And it says here, uh, verse 12, And on the next day the large crowd that came up for the festival heard that Jesus had come up to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. Hosanna, they shouted. Welcome in the name of the Lord. Welcome to Israel's king. Jesus found a little donkey and sat on it, as the Bible says from uh, Zechariah 9.9. It says, Do not fear, daughter of Zion. Look. Your king is coming now, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand this to begin with, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him, that these things had been done uh, to him. The crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, told their story. That's when the crowd went out to meet him, because... They had heard that he had done this great sign. And it's interesting, this passage in John in particular is between the raising of Lazarus, Christ's victory over death, and the cleansing of the temple. When he went in and he... he you see, people say, oh, you shouldn't buy and sell in, in the temple. That wasn't the problem. See, pe people... You know, they'll say, oh, no, you can't buy and sell in church. I've got some CDs up there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and my book's on sale. I want to clear it out. It's got a few little editorial errors in it. but uh, So they're up there after. But it was about stealing. How did they steal? Well, the money changes when you couldn't buy something in the temple unless you came in with temple currency. You couldn't use the currency that you used every day. So the religious leaders, they had it all controlled by the family, the original mafia. <laughs> the religious family, the religious elite. So if you came into the temple with your currency, everyday currency, to buy something in the temple, you had to change it into the temple currency. They charged you a fee. And if you didn't have the correct change, they charged you additional fees. Um, they would sell the sacrifices. But they wouldn't sell sacrifices that were without spot and wrinkle. They'd say, oh, that one's okay. No one's going to notice. That's so fine. And so it was a den of, as Jesus said, thieves. It wasn't about buying and selling. It was about stealing by wrong sales, wrong motivation. And it's interesting. A lot of people say, you can't buy and sell in church, but they'll go out and they'll do, they'll do it out there. Manipulate. Give you something that's not worth what you think it is. So really, that's not the issue. So we, we often read from our Western mind, and we've become very lazy at doing that, and we read into Scripture rather than read about Scripture. 
or draw out from Scripture. And so this passage, which is also found in Matthew 21, Luke 11, Luke 19, about Jesus coming in, was about something that goes right back to the beginning. See, we look at the Bible as a, as a series of stories, but they're not. Everything in Scripture is connected to everything in Scripture. So we don't interpret Scripture by reading the newspapers. Scripture interprets Scripture. If we interpret it by reading the newspapers, what we believe today is, you know, well, that's what the Bible says. Tomorrow changes because something doesn't turn out the way we said. So we've had predictions by people, men and women, in, in ministry for, especially in our lifetime, that, oh, that's what, the, that's, that's what the Bible's predicting, and therefore we end up believing it, and then it goes by, and next year we've totally forgotten all about it. Remember 88 reasons why the Lord's returning in 88? Oh, sorry, I made a miscalculation. It's 89 reasons why the Lord's returning in 89. Harold Camping, you know, is another one. And so we tend to manipulate Scripture because we look at headlines or we look at things we are seeing, not look at things we are seeing. Naturalized, spiritualized. See, and so often we say, well, we need to pray about that. But Jesus, pray about what? Jesus didn't say pray. Prayer is not the most important thing for a disciple. You know what it is? Watching. Remember Jesus said, watch and pray. Because if we don't watch, and, I'm, and once again, I'm not talking about our natural eyes, but watching by the Spirit, discerning by the Spirit, that's why he's given us the gift of discernment. To discern what is really going on so we can pray about it to bring it down or to raise it up, whatever it is, good or bad. And so everything's connected to everything. And uh, one, one of the things I've, I've thought about over the last couple of months in particular is the concept of evil. Ever th thought about evil? And, and you know, so, so many in the body of Christ, we say, well, evil happened because man sinned. No. No, it didn't. In fact, God created evil. Isaiah 45, verse 7. I created evil. I created peace and I created evil. Well, why did God create evil? He wanted us to sin. No. He wanted us to have victory. See, evil can't manifest unless you go against God and going against God is sin. So Adam sinned, did not cause evil it enabled evil to be manifested. And so when Adam sinned, notice this, how did he sin? He disobeyed what? what? Yeah, he disobeyed God. Okay. But what did he do? Ate of the tree. And what would happen the day he ate of the tree? He dies. He's dead. And when you read that, we think natural death is because of sin. That's not what we're talking about. It's talking about spiritual death or covenantal death, 
It was separation from God because God left. God lived in him. So he never heard God's voice out in the garden. That's not the way it was. That was the way it was after, after he ate. It says, and he heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden, and he was afraid. Why? Because he had never, ever heard God's voice out in the garden. He always heard it within. That's what Jesus did. He died to bring us back into that relationship so God could come and take possession of his temple again to live in, to be his dwelling place so that we can hear him from within. But you see, when Adam ate of the tree, we, then, we don't think about it. We think, well... That was God never intended. When Eve ate of the tree, did Eve sin against God? No. She disobeyed her husband. Because Eve wasn't even there when God told Adam, don't eat of the tree. Obviously, Adam told her, and he may have, we don't know how he told her, but she came to the understanding, if I eat of the tree, I'll die. That's not what the Lord said. See, sin didn't come from the woman. Sin came from the man, as Paul says. Adam. Sin came from Adam because he disobeyed. But when you read Genesis 1, God said, and let us make all the trees for what? See if I can quickly find it. In Genesis chapter 1. The... Uh, and God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of the tree, yielding seed to you, it shall be for meat. God created the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it was to be meat, just like all the other trees. But God said, Don't eat. And I'm convinced that God told him not to eat because he was not yet mature. He was still a child. He was still learning. He had not grown into that, that position of sonship. And we see that further on in Scripture where it says, a child, though it knows good from evil, is not accountable. But when they grow, they make decisions. And I'm convinced, see, God created evil not because he had evil in him, because he can't create anything he's not, Evil came about because it's the opposite of righteousness. It was the opposite of his nature. So God didn't say that's evil because I've experienced and that's bad. No, it was evil because it didn't measure up to who I am as the righteousness of God. And so Adam took upon himself to make the decision. And he ate of the tree. So what we can say about that was that he stepped into something that was eventually going to be his to make decisions about, but he was not yet ready for it. You know, I say, what's that got to do with Jesus? Well, we know that Jesus was born, not born to be king, was born the king of the Jews. In John chapter 6, there's a passage there that talks about 
how he had fed the 5,000. And then they sort of congregate together and Jesus discerned what they were saying. We need to make him the king. Look at the great things that he has done. How many people look at us and we say, look, he's great. We need to do this. Oh, yeah, great. Jesus said, no. I'm not stepping into that. It's not my place. I am, it's going to be given to me by my father, not by man. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, it means that it's from heaven or God. Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven. The rest of the Gospels talk about the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. It's an invisible kingdom. See, the kingdom of God is, is the only kingdom that is, comes from within, outward, from the bottom, up. All other kingdoms are governed from the bottom down and the outside in. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. See, when you were born again, when I, I was born again, the seed of the kingdom has been planted in me. And through my life, I am, to, I am to nourish that and water that until it rises up to its full measure. And when it rises up in its full measure, I can enter into it. Look at it from a natural perspective. Those who, who have had children, when your child was born in this country, your child was an American citizen. But he didn't have any rights as a citizen. He couldn't vote. He couldn't make decisions. Couldn't make contracts. Why? Because it was not yet ready and mature to do so. so. How many Christians are rushing into places that they're not ready for? And, and see, all, that will always bring destruction. A friend of mine in Bible school, he was in my class, he came to Christ about November and in January he entered the Bible college. He'd never experienced any Christian life. His name was George McArdle, who was the bass player for the Little River Band, who I'm sure some of you will remember. And every week, George was sent out to the churches to give his testimony of how he came come to Christ. He had not experienced any normal Christian life, but was put straight into the battle. When he graduated from college, he sort of dropped off the scene for a while. Actually got to the point, if I remember rightly, that he had a breakdown. Because man's expectation of who he was, where he came from. See, where we come from is not important. It's where we're going that counts. Our, our past is no longer important. When Christ came in, we are what? A new creation. All things have passed away. But there's a programming of the mind that gets us ready to be who we are. So we, ne we, never, we never prepare ourselves to become what we're going to be. But in God, we train to become what we are from God's perspective, not our perspective. See, God never finished it. God never started anything till he finished it. 
in his mind, right at the beginning, he said, let us make man in our image, male and female. Now, if you or I had been in charge of that process and we could picture in the future, oh, that thing's not going to, that person's not going to work, so we're not even going to make them, they're going to be skipped. Could you imagine what that would be like? In other words, we want to govern how good things are going to be rather than we know that things are going to go wrong so we always make a, an action to deal with that before the things go wrong. And that's what God did. In his love, he didn't say, hmm, Adam's going to fail. By the way, ladies, it wasn't Eve that failed, it was Adam. <laughs> it was man's fault. But God didn't say, Adam, blow it, that's it. I'm, I, I knew it was going to happen. I'm going to cut him out. He's, no, no long, he's not going to exist. If that had happened, you and I wouldn't be here today. But God, in his love, said, I know Adam's going to fail. I didn't design for him to fail. But he did fail, and because he failed, I'm providing a way to deal with that. That's why it says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It was part of the plan to provide for man's failure. But see, God didn't design for man to fail. And think about it. If man hadn't failed, there would be no need of a sacrifice. But if, if everything was perfect, if everything God did was perfect, what would we be, we be like? If we had no battles to, to face, if we had no victories to, to uh, be overcome us for, if we had nothing of that, what would life, life actually be like? Think about it for a moment. We don't want to fight. We, you know... The word tells us he's, we, he does not test us. And in King James it says tempt, but God does not tempt, God tests. He does not test us above that which we are able to endure, but provides a way of escape, not over it, not around it, not away from it, but through it. He does that. Because he loves us and he wants us to have the victory over it. As I said before, God not did not design for evil. God did not create evil for man to take part in. God designed evil for man to overcome. Because every victory we have is a badge of honor on our father and his son. And so these are all the things that are going on in Jesus' life. He was born the king. So if he was born the king as a child, he could have said, well, I'm the king, you do what you're told. No. In fact, the word tells us, he, not as he's God. Remember, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. But it says that he, he didn't lay down his godness or his godlikeness or his God abilities, he put them aside. If he laid them down, he was no longer God. He couldn't put, lay them down. He, laid, he put them aside. 
In other words, they were with him, but he refrained from using them. And in doing that, he operated as a man. He lived as a man. And it says that he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Now, that wasn't in the wilderness. That was the testing of whether his obedience was complete. As a child, growing up as a child, from, you know, from his birth up until the age of 30. That's why at the age of 30, the word says that he was baptized of John, not for repentance of sins, but into service, because this is my beloved son. He was adopted that day by God as his son. He was always God the word, but that day he became the son. See, in Jewish culture, you became a son if you were tested through your life, through your youth, to that place where the father would say, you mean my child? For 30 years today, you have showed that you're worthy of being called my son. And they would, they would go through a baptism. They'd put the signet ring on him. So wherever he went, he now represented his father. And that's what happened with Jesus. That day, he had the authority because he was released as a son who was worthy to carry his father's name to carry his father's authority. Because that's what the word name means. People say, well, in Jesus' name. So that's what I've got to pray, in Jesus' name. No, it means I know who I am, and he's given me the authority to use his name. That's what it means. I'm speaking on his authority. It's not, it's not a formula, folks. You know, in Jesus' name is not a formula, which everyone, there's so many churches make out, well, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but that's not the name. So it was the Lord Jesus Christ. So they, they argued theology over this when they missed the whole point. The, the, the name meant the authority of the Father. Simply that. And so he, he spoke with the authority of the Father. In fact, as a friend of mine says, Jesus never had an original idea in his life. Because everything he said is what he heard the Father say. Everything he did is what he saw the Father do. And every place he went is where he saw the Father go. My meat is not to do my will, but the one, the will of the one who sent me, he says. And so Jesus is now in this position in life where he's now seen as of, you know, operating in the Father's authority. And he comes to this place where they say, man, he's did great things. We need to make him the king because he will deal with these Romans. Problem was, Rome never, ever conquered Israel. Do you know that? Israel invited Rome in. In those silent 400 years when the Maccabees and that were, you know, there was tribal warfare in the land, the Romans came to them and said, hey, invite us in and we'll bring peace. And so they adopted the ways of Rome, contrary to the word of God. And so here, it's like when someone makes you king. This is the way the media works today. Notice, you go to the elections. They will talk about, well, this is a man that needs to be 
you know, the Democrat representative. Well, this is the man that needs to be a Republican representative. And so they crucify all the other Republicans, so the one they get, and then when it comes to election time, they crucify him. <laughs> See, when man puts you on a... When man wants you to step into a place of authority and you get there, you are now enthroned on that place of authority, they'll cut the throne from under you and kill you. See, if Jesus had have accepted, well, folks, yeah, I did some great miracles, okay. Uh, let me see. Now, what else can we do? That's what you and I would do in our immaturity. That's what Adam did in his immaturity. That's what so many ministries, you know, I'm... I'm you know, celebrated my 31st, 39th birthday, the 31st anniversary of my 39th birthday next month. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just getting ready to go out and, you know, because some of you know, well, that, we heard that story last year. Well, there was a reason why it didn't happen. But when, it, when it's ready to go, it'll happen. But in the meantime, God's repairing me and giving me greater understanding, greater, greater vision, greater dream for the future. So getting close to 70, when everybody's thinking about retirement, I'm thinking about stepping into a new direction in my life. See, I don't believe, this is a sidetrack, I don't believe that we should try and fit our vision into the years we think we have. You say, well, the word says three score and ten. That's old covenant. The new covenant is different. We're governed by the new covenant. And I believe in the new covenant, we believe for the years to fit our vision. For the expansion of our years to fulfill what God's called us to do. This old covenant, they didn't have an understanding of who they were and what they were to do. In the New Covenant, the Word tells us that we're called to take dominion. That was the original mandate for man. We could never lose sight of that. Everything Jesus did was bring us back to original intent. Genesis 1 and 2. In fact, have you heard this one? I preached a message on this once. Never, never, never surrender your vision. Never give up your vision. But in religion, they tell you, well, you've got a vision, brother, you need to die to your vision. Anyone heard that? Or you need to put your vision on the altar, because if it's God, it will, it will be resurrected. It's not my vision that needs to be on the altar. It's not my vision that needs to die. It's me that needs to die, and, my, my, and I'm the one that needs to be on the altar. Because, see, when God gives you something, it's clear, it, it's pure. It's when we take possession of it and we try and manipulate it to fit what we want rather than what God wants. See, that's how Jesus lived. That's, that's this whole interplay of what is going on in Jesus' life when he comes to this point. Now, remember I, I mentioned the passage in Zechariah, Behold your king, he comes unto you. But did you know that that's not the first place this is found? In Genesis 49, Jacob calls his children, he's on his deathbed, he calls his sons to him. And he says to them, Genesis 49 verse 1, 
And this is what will happen to you in the last days. Jacob is telling his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. When it comes to Judah, it says, And the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. Now, that's not the second coming. That was his coming as a babe. The word became flesh. That's talking about that. How do I know that? Because he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice lamb. He washed his garments with wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. He's talking about his death and the, the coming vengeance upon the unfaithful. Adam stepped beyond what he was ready for. And from that, evil became manifested in his life and in the life of his progeny. And so sin entered in. And so... I'm not sure whether, you know, there's debate about original sin and often theologians use, um, was it Psalm 50? In sin did my mother conceive me. But that's talking about David. That's not talking about mankind. It's simply saying that my mother was not my father's wife. In sin did my mother conceive me. His mother was not Jesse's wife. So you can't, you can't use that to define original sin. But what happened when Adam submitted himself to the rule of Satan instead of obeying his father, it placed him and every, every one of his generations under the dominion of Satan. Who was Satan? Just an angel. Oh, an archangel, yeah, okay. But he was an angel. He was an angelic being. See, the, the creation order was, was God, man, angels. But because of sin, it became God, angels, man. So in the Old Testament, through and through, we see that when God wanted to speak, he would often send an angel to bring a message. Why? Because the angel had a higher authority than man. But in Hebrews, it tells us, but... Now he spoke through his son. And so his son is now the authority, representing the father, speaking in the, on the authority's, father's authority because he did not cut short his training. He did not step into something he was not ready for or that it was not ready for him. But he went through everything, even to the death on the cross. See, Jesus didn't come to die on the cross. What? No, he didn't come to die on the cross. He came to be obedient to the will of the Father, even to the death on the cross. The issue was obedience. And that's why he's called the last Adam, because he demonstrated faithfulness and obedience to his Father, which the first Adam didn't. And because of his faithfulness and obedience, I know we're going to the other side of the cross, but we're already there. He did that 
so that we now are no longer under the dominion of Satan, but we are now under the dominion of the kingdom of God. Simply because he went through everything he had to do had to to pay the price for man's failure. Any time when you read his story, those three years, there were four or five instances when he could have exposed himself and said, okay, I'm the king, that's it, move over, I'm coming in, taking control. How many of us, I've heard Pastor Jeff say this, how many of us go to Jesus, the last thing, Well, we tried this and we tried that and we tried something else and we talked to our neighbors and we, we did this and we talked to Pastor Jeff. How many of us went directly to the Lord? In, in my years of pastoring, you know, we, we would talk here about this new conference, how, how to build your church. And so we'd spend money and we'd go to a conference and we think, oh, we'll do the shortcut. But conferences are always the, last, are always the long way around. The shortest distance to find out how to build our church is directly to the throne because every situation is unique. Every situation is different. And he's building his church, not me. And so we can step out of what God has for us. We can step out away from the battles we have to face, but we knew, you know what? We will still face them. Rather than face them, you know, for instance, look, let's look at the so-called the ministry. So many people don't deal with the battles on the battlefront. Before they get into ministry, they have to go through them in the ministry. And how many people get killed because of it? Here's something I forgot to say. Just think of it. Atheists say, you know what? I don't believe God because of all the evil in the world. So they use evil to say there's no God. But if there's no God, how can you have evil? How can you define what evil is if there's no God? How can you, how can you define what subtraction is if there's no multiplication or addition? How can you define what division is if there's no multiplication? How can you define what darkness is if there's no light or vice versa? How can you define what evil is if there's no righteousness to measure it up against? So therefore, when they say that I don't believe God because of this, they're actually using <laughs> an argument for the existence of God. I love this one. A woman says, I have the right to have an abortion. It's my body. <coughs> you heard that one? It's my body. But, um, okay, but what if it's a girl? So because you have the right, you're, you're aborting a baby girl, you're you're, you are now not giving her the right to have freedom over her own body. Think about it. See, with every argument, there's an equally opposite to it. We just need to think it through. 
Everything Jesus did was because of knowing his purpose, his plan. And he didn't get to the throne by taking it up, even though it was his by promise. He got to the throne. He might have got an earthly throne, but how long would that last? But because he obeyed the Father, went through everything, he was proved worthy, he rose from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of the Father on high, and there he sits. There he sits. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. Simply because he would never cut short the requirements on his life to fulfill the purpose that God had for him. And so on this day, think about it. Think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Everybody's waving, Hosanna, Hosanna, our kings, he's coming. And the next week they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. There's a lesson in that for us. Because Jesus, we, we, we don't follow Jesus because he's the son of God and try to be God-like. We follow Jesus, who is the son of man, to be like him, the true man. See, too many, too many Christians are wanting to get out of our humanness and become spirit, and Jesus became flesh, or the word became flesh. The kingdom of God can only operate through us when we have earned the right to speak the kingdom, to declare it. Never let, never cut short. Go, with, go through the things you've got to go through. Not to give in, but to get victory. Because the promise is, we, in John, is it 1 John 5, it tells us, who is he that overcomes the world? And it's not just the spirit of the age, but to walk in dominion, in authority of God. Who is he? He that has faith in Jesus Christ. It's you and I, folks. God has called us to walk in victory, and we can only walk in victory by going through the battles. We can only walk in victory. Even though God created evil, he said, well, Paul tells us in, in Romans, overcome evil with good. See, the only way we overcome evil is doing what's good, not doing what's evil. We manifest who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are a new creation, and we need to live it, not to be like the world. I, I've heard so many preachers go and say, well, we're just like the world. We're just like them out there. No, we're not. We're a new creation. They are not. We were sinners, we're now saved by grace. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They are not. We are different, but it's not a different to difference to brag about. It's a difference to brag on him about and live it so that we can also see them become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus to overcome evil with good. Amen? God bless you.